0: You're listening to Riverview Church Conversations, a podcast for the spiritually curious.
1: Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us on Riverview Church Conversations. My name is Reese Michelle, and here I am with Ryan. Hello, everybody. Good to be back together again. Now, Reese, as
0: always, I thought I would start off with a very difficult question for you. A very honest response, I hope. <laughs> what was your first ever email address?
1: Oh, I. It's the same as mine now. Oh, no. Just without a Gmail. It, it was at hotmail.com.
0: Oh, you didn't go the embarrassing.
1: No, I didn't of, have like the, planet you know, pony princess underscore or, on fire at hotmail.com. Look, Reese, mine
0: was Ryanator
1: 888. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> What's the eight? Is, are the eights symbolizing know, just, good luck or something like minute. that? Oh, look, probably because Ryan Ader was taken. Oh, it's good feng shui. All those. Eights. That's right. That's yes. right. How are you, Ryan?
0: I'm doing pretty well. I've uh, been uh, getting a bit more used to going out and and kind of uh, embracing a bit more normal life. Still, still not quite ready for it. No. But it's been kind of fun um, having a lot more conversations around um, new normal and things like that and. Yeah, I know. There's lots of organisations and families out there that are probably starting to have those conversations about, you know, what you want to go back to and all of those kind of things.
1: I hope the new normal does not include Zoom chats. Yes, me um, too. I've hit peak Zoom. Yes, me and too.
0: I, yes, I cannot. Yeah, been gathering with with our Connect group via Zoom, and it's
1: just it's just not the same. No, it's not. Like, yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm really good. I'm really good today. My mm-hmm. legs are in a bit of pain. From my cycling efforts. <laughs> I mean, it, it may sound like I do like an awful lot of cycling, but really, don't. really I don't. Do you it's... wear the Lycra reese? Everyone's wanting to know. Yeah, I do. Oh, I do. hello. I do. It actually, uh, yeah, it's helpful. Sell me on it. Why do I need Lycra? It's just more comfortable when you're riding. Okay. And I do subscribe to the idea of having a uniform for things. Yeah. So, you know, like on any given day in the office, I would be wearing black shoes, black jeans, oh, black true. t-shirt yeah. like I am now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I'm out in a social environment, some kind of shoe, black jeans, and denim shirt.
2: Mm.
1: And when I'm writing. Very precise. Like Steve I, Jobs. Well, then, you're brilliant then you mind. don't have to think about it, you know. It's true. I don't I don't want to spend a minute thinking about my looks or my wardrobe <laughs> or what I'm going to have for the next meal. And that's a big bone of contention with my wife, Bonnie. She's like, you never think about what you're going to have for lunch and it costs <laughs> us money and you end up eating junk. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know. I just don't want to think about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little like that. Maybe the new normal has to include me um, being more deliberate about my dietary intake.
0: Yes, you and I, Reese. You and I. (laughs) Now, we're uh, excited for our conversation today. I'm speaking a little bit about New Normal. Even as um, a church organization here at Riverview, we've been kind of diving headfirst into some conversations around what that New Normal will look like um, and the church that we want to be, some of the things that we want to embrace. And um, we're really excited for this conversation because this conversation is all around the church. Uh, What is this thing we call church? You know, over... Uh, 1.6 million Australians every weekend gather in um, churches all over our country. That's more than how many people go to the football. That's right. That's right. And these churches are various sizes, different expressions, have different doctrine of beliefs, but all of them have some um, guiding professions. And so we wanted to just have a bit of a conversation and and talk about the extremely complex nature of the church. What is it? How should we do it? Uh, When Jesus said he was going to build his church, what did he mean? Um, Are we the hope of the world? How are we the hope of the world? All of those kind of things. So we're really excited for this conversation. So why don't you enjoy this? Well, Tim, thanks so much for joining with us again on the podcast. Uh, we thought we'd just kick it off with a bit of a, a get-to-know-you. What's your regular coffee order?
2: Oh, that's easy. I'm uh, a decaf almond milk cappuccino fan.
0: What's with all the extras, Careful. Tim?
2: Why? Why? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm on decaf now because I had to make some changes to my um, lifestyle mm-hmm. habits, which included the elimination of caffeine. Uh, part of the problem was um, I was diagnosed with adrenal fatigue syndrome, which is basically the implosion of your adrenal system. Um, And that's from just running on adrenaline and cortisol for too long. And I was supplementing that adrenaline and cortisol with copious amounts of caffeine. So I'm now on decaf, uh, almond milk, because I don't do dairy um, for health and environmental reasons. Mm. And so almond milk, cappuccinos.
0: There you go. So they do those at Milk and Honey Kitchen, right? I go. believe so. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. We might get yourself some. Well, thanks, Tim, as, as I said, for joining with us. And I, I'm really excited for today's uh, conversation. Yes. Uh, it might be a little bit controversial. We're going to um, talk about church and the role of church, uh, what we exist to do as the church, how Jesus builds his church, all of those things. And we're excited to have you here for that conversation. And um, to kick us off, I was I was kind of reflecting over the last couple of months Um, in light of COVID, around this idea of church being the hope of the world. And um, it's a statement that we often hear and often use within the four walls of church. But even as someone who's on staff here, reflecting on that idea over the last couple of months, when I've taken a look at my hope, yes, my hope has been placed in the steady foundation of Jesus. But if I'm honest, uh, my hope has probably been more likely placed in in government or in um, human advancement through vaccines or whatever, um, through entertainment, you know, the copious amounts of Netflix episodes that I can kind of just bury my head in the sand in. Um, so I've placed my hope in those things, maybe even more so than I have in the church. Um, can you speak into that a little bit, that, you know, the church is the hope of the world. What does that look like? Do we need to redefine certain things around that?
2: Yeah, I've, I've heard that phrase before. I'm familiar with it. In fact, I think Bill Hybels coined the phrase, and if he didn't, he certainly made it famous, uh, the church is the hope of the world. To be honest with you, I've never been a huge fan of that phrase, simply because I mm. don't think it's necessarily true. I think Jesus is the hope of the world. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's Jesus who saves, not the church. It's Jesus who never changes, not the church. Um, I get the sentiment behind it, but I, mm. I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, I do think, though, that you know we've 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 got to ask ourselves the question: Well, what do we mean by the church? Mm. If if the church is, um, you know, a source of hope to the world, well, what what exactly are we talking about when we say the church? And mm. I've heard you know the same kind of question raised: Are we looking to sources other than God for our hope or for our relief or for the answers to the current crisis. And my take on it is this. I I think we're probably guilty of a, an unhealthy dualism here mm. um, of saying, well, you know, there's the church in the world and God's at work in the church, but he's not really at work in the world. And it's really up to the church to be the purveyors of hope and and the solution to challenges and the answers to questions or at least to provide those mm. But I look at, at what's happening and I think, well, you know, we, we currently have a, a prime minister who is um, a self-proclaimed follower of Jesus mm. and who considers himself to be Christian. And we have other people in the political sphere who yeah. are also followers of Jesus and they are the church. Mm. And right now they are making decisions on behalf of the nation um, in an attempt to serve the nation well and, um, You know, we can debate the decisions themselves. um, But the point is there's a presence. There's a Christian presence. There's a spirit-inspired presence Mm. um, in government, uh, in the fields of science where vaccines are being developed. um, And the abilities and the skills that people are employing Mm. to make those decisions, those policies, uh, to develop those vaccines are all skills and abilities that ultimately come from God anyway. So um, mm, yeah. so I think what's happening in the world today um, in response to the COVID challenge um, can be as informed by the wisdom of God and empowered by the Spirit of God as what God is doing in and through the church. Mm. Um, and so I, I, I think God is as much at work in the world as He is at work in and through the church by the same... Spirit, And so I'm just cautious of creating yeah. this kind of dichotomy that says, well, God only ever works through the church uh, and is not capable of working in the world by his spirit mm. through
0: people who are not yet part of the church. Yeah, I'm interested mean, just to kind of double click on that that dualism that you just spoke about, you know, this idea of there being some areas of life that are secular and some areas that are sacred. And often we will put the church in the category of sacred and we'll put your job as, you know, a barista in the category of, of secular, can you speak into maybe why we have that that dualistic approach maybe to church and to, um, you know, other areas of life? And even when that comes into ministry and how we work as the church, the people of God, um, can you speak into that dualism a little bit more?
2: Yeah, I think it probably exists partially as a result of the kind of residual impact of modernism. You know, modernism as a worldview and a paradigm was very much a, an either-or paradigm. Uh, something was right or it was wrong. You know, it was true or it was not. Um, the postmodern era in which we now live is far more open to um, the ambiguity of the the, the both and um, And I think in addition to the residual impact of modernism, some of our theological assumptions have created that same sense of dichotomy. So we talk about, Uh, spiritual and natural, um, good and evil. And that's not to say that there are no absolutes. Like there are some absolutes and some fundamental differences. But I think life is far more nuanced and and there is far more uh, shades of gray in life and theology than than necessarily um, blacks and whites. So I think um, what makes something sacred um, is not what you do, but why you do it. So whether you're preaching a sermon or making coffees, uh, the experience can be spiritual. It can be deeply meaningful if it's informed by a different why. And that for me is what makes something sacred and
1: uh, holy in that sense. It's the underlying motivation. So if there are more shades of gray than um, either or the binary kind of notion of spirituality and the secular world. What, what does it really mean then when Jesus says, I will build my church? Are we talking about um, if he's at work both within the church and in the world by the same power? When he says he'll build his church, are we talking about the gathering of churches? Are we talking about denominations? Are we talking about the number of churches? Are we talking about Christians? Like what essentially does he mean? That's mm, a great question. You know, what did Jesus mean when he said, I'll build
2: my church? Because he was so non prescriptive about what it was supposed to look like. He didn't say anything specifically about governance or about gathering or how we should meet or when we should meet or how we should go about fulfilling his mission. And I think he was deliberately vague about that because he knew that the church would find expression in so many different times and places, uh, so many different dispensations and cultural contexts and, and social settings. And so, He kind of left it wide open, but it does beg the question, well, what did he mean when he said, I'm going to build my church? And probably one helpful way of looking at it, and this is how I've helped reconcile this for myself, is to to see a difference between what I call the capital C church, which is the body of men and women, um, past and present, who have become part of God's kingdom through their... Faith in Jesus and their submission and surrender to His Lordship, and they are spirit-infused uh, hearts and minds being regenerated and transformed by the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. Um, and really, essentially, that body of people is invisible. We we don't know who they are. I can't tell, looking out at a congregation of eight hundred people, how many of those eight hundred people are part of that capital C church, unless I can talk to them and get to know them and hear something about their journey and their beliefs and their experience. I can't really work out who they are. But as the writer to the Hebrews says, the Lord knows those who are his. So God knows who is part of that capital C body of born again, regenerated, spirit-filled, redeemed followers of Jesus who have recognized Jesus as Lord. Now, Alongside that, you have what I call the small C church, which is really all the organizational, institutional forms of church that we have. And we have many. There are literally tens of thousands of small C churches. We have Baptist churches and Anglican churches and Presbyterian churches and independent churches and emergent churches and house churches and mega churches. Mm, There's just an endless list Mm. of small C church expressions. Now, some people who are part of that capital C broader body of Jesus followers are in the small C church and some are not. There are people who are legitimate followers of Jesus, spirit-filled, serving and and loving God who don't belong to any particular church or particular denomination um, and vice versa. Um, there are people who belong to these small C institutional organized religious um, structures that we have created in an attempt to try and give expression to this idea called church who are not part of the capital C church. They wouldn't know Jesus if he walked into the room wearing a pink hat and a bright yellow t-shirt with Jesus you know, blazoned <laughs> across the front. They just got no relationship mm-hmm. with Jesus, no desire to submit to him. Uh, they may be connected to that small C institutional organizational Entity for social reasons or cultural reasons or all sorts of reasons, but not necessarily have a sincere faith in God. Um, and so there's a bit of overlap there. All right. So there are there are some people who are part of the capital C church who are in the small C church, some who are not, and and vice versa. And so when it when it comes to what is it that Jesus is building, I'm convinced that he's talking about that capital C church, that body of people, that that community of Men and women from every nation, tribe, and tongue on the planet who have come to faith in Jesus, who put their trust in him, who surrendered their lives to his lordship, and who are now attempting to live out that submission to Jesus by loving God and loving others uh, in the power and grace of the Holy Spirit. That's what I think Jesus is building. And I think he's doing it in spite of us, not (laughs) dependent on us. Um, i think he's quite capable of of realizing his purpose achieving his goal of building that community regardless of what's going on in the world around us i've, I've often heard people say you know the church is one generation away from extinction well i don't believe that's true at all uh, because jesus is building the church it's not dependent on our cleverness on our leadership prowess on our ingenuity on our innovation it's dependent on his sovereign ability to build that
0: community so it's almost a matter of redefining what we mean when we talk about the church I, and I, I don't want to be pessimistic but I guess the question then is if if Jesus is building his church and as he says the, the gates of hell will not prevail over it um, what's the point for us as uh, people who are involved and leading in a in a small sea church uh, you know believing that we're a part of the big sea church? you know, what's the point? Is it worth still doing that?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And, and some people have asked that question and concluded there is no point. Uh, and so they've left. Uh, they fall into a category we call the duns. You know, there's the <laughs> nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, the nuns are people who have no religion or no faith and no um, affiliation to any religious organization. And then you get this category called the duns who are people who are like, well, we're done. We're over it. We're out. <laughs> and they've left institutional, organized Kind of religion, um, I, I still think there is value in being part of a localized gathering of people who not only share uh, an allegiance to Jesus, but who share proximity, who share geography, who live in in the same city or live in the same suburbs. Um, because when that community comes together, they can, through their partnership and through the synergy created by their unity live out the faith they have in Jesus in far more fruitful and effective ways by doing it in collaboration, by doing it in community, by doing it with other people. So I think there's great value in belonging to a localized, smaller C community of Jesus followers who together share a passion for uh, following Jesus and perhaps for some unique specific things. So some of those small C congregations uh, are really all about just, justice and um, caring for the poor and um, addressing issues of inequality in our society. And that may be what forms the basis for their coming together. Other congregations may gather around their passion, their shared passion for worship, uh, others around their love for the scriptures. And so you'll find these small sea gatherings have unique personalities
1: and characteristics depending on what has brought those people together. You're, so you're saying the the church takes many and varied different forms, and in the same way, what Jesus is doing in building as well is varied. It's not like um, he One builds in the all. same way, mm. correct? And it's always onwards and upwards. We obviously we kind of we have a hope that it's that it his kingdom is established and all those things, but it's not always a linear kind of increase in size and amount and turnover and people. You know? No, exactly right. And I think if you were going to just simply measure progress
2: by looking at how those small C congregations are expanding or growing in number or in um, value, asset value or whatever it is you choose to measure progress by, um, yeah, you could you could conclude that, well, this whole thing is going backwards. Um, in fact, if you look at formalized, institutional, organized Christianity, particularly in the West, it is going backwards. Um, churches are declining, though denominations are shrinking. But in terms of the broader collective, the body of capital C church members across the world, well, that's growing exponentially. Uh, that can con- continues to grow all over the world. Um, it's, just, it's just hard to to get a handle on. You can't manage it. You can't control it. It's like trying to grab water in your hands. It'll just run through your fingers. And I think that's the challenge is as human beings, we like to control. We like to manage. We like to measure. We like to regulate, um, which is easier to do in our little organized institutional kind of gatherings. Um, But when you're talking about that larger capital C um, body of believers that Jesus is building, you can't manage it. You can't control it. You can't regulate it. You can't. Um, even properly measure it, which is really uncomfortable for us. Um, But I have great confidence in Jesus's ability by his spirit to continue building that. He said, the kingdom of God advances forcefully and forceful men will lay hold of it, right? That is the nature of the kingdom of God. It advances. It it never retreats. The kingdom of God is progressive, not regressive. It's going forward. It's not going backwards. And ultimately it's going to fill the earth. So, uh, you know, the, the the promise we have in Scripture is that the knowledge of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Ultimately, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God's glory, um, not the glory of of any other entity, <laughs> um, not the glory of BHP or, or the Empire Islam Church or even any one of these organizations, mm. organizations or institutional forms of church. It'll be filled with the knowledge of His glory. Mm. Um, and so, yeah. So, in a sense, the the the, the scope of God's plan and intention for the world is so broad and and so wide and so deep and so inclusive, it extends well beyond our localized communities. Mm. And so we sometimes think, well, you know, Jesus is building his church. Does that mean he's just building these little organizational institutions that we've created to facilitate our coming together? No, no, no. He's, He's building something much bigger than that, which is all in service of an even bigger
0: plan, which is to redeem and restore all of creation, awesome. the entire cosmos. And, and, and I feel like, though, on on that redefinition of the church, you could almost say that the church is the hope of the world when partnered, you know, individual people who are coming alive to Christ partner with him in the redemption and the renewal of, of the earth. I mean, that is hopeful. And I th- think the beautiful thing is in what you're saying is that often happens outside of the four walls of church. Mm. more than it does inside. So right now, as we look around in, in society rapidly changing, there are members of society who are faithfully following Jesus to the best of their ability and allowing the skills that he's placed inside them to, to outwork um, in communities and in businesses in organizations. I, I, I think, and all of that, I think is greatly encouraging and all well and good. But I think as someone who works in a Little sea church, um, the question remains, you know, in light of this COVID um, season, there's been a little bit of exposure as to what we do as the church, you know, and, and so much of what we do is shaped around uh, a weekend gathering. And I think there is huge value in that weekend gathering. But when that's taken away, um, what's left? You know, what, what are we here to do? Is that all we, <laughs> we offer as the small C church uh, or is there more?
2: Yeah, I think the um, the challenge here as well is recognizing that we have our community, our, our say, our Riverview family. Um, and then within that family, we have a group of people who serve the family in a really unique way. And that's our staff team. And so our um, energy and our time and our um skill and ability is all kind of invested in serving this, this faith community and what it does. So we're probably feeling the impact of that more deeply than they are. The broader, the broader Riverview community is still the church. And yes, a big part of what we do is we gather on a, on a, on a Sunday, um, which for us might be eight hours out of our day. For the average Riverview attender, it's two, three hours out of their day. Um, but church is so much more than their gathering. It's an important part of what we do. There's value in it. There's something unique and special about it. And I honestly believe that on the other side of this COVID thing, people will still continue to gather um, and still continue to appreciate the privilege and the opportunity of being in the room with other followers of Jesus because there's something unique and beautiful and wonderful about it. Um, But right now we don't get together, but we're not just about our gatherings. Um, I think we're learning some very valuable things as a church through this. Now, we've, we've always known, you know, we're not our buildings. Um, church is about more than the quality of its, of its building. It's, it's about the quality of its community. We're a people. Um, we, we are connected by relationship. Um, we are in community um, with each other and with the people, you know, who we live and work with. We, we don't stop being the church. We can continue to share hope, share faith share the good news about Jesus. We can continue to love, um, to serve other people, to be generous, to be kind, to be a a presence in the world um, for good and for God. None of that is dependent upon having a building or having a gathering. Uh, We can do that, you know, Monday to Saturday quite easily. So I think it's reminding ourselves that when we say the church, we're not just talking about the staff team. We're talking about the whole community. Uh, we're not just talking about the gathering on a Sunday or the building. We're talking about the community of people who live 24-7, Monday to Sunday, out in the world, and have every opportunity to continue being the church by loving others and serving others in Jesus' name.
0: Mm. It's a lot more almost about like a fully indi- uh, integrated people and, and whole communities as opposed to small bits and pieces um, I think I've been reflecting on um, Hebrews twelve seven, and essentially it kind of talks about enduring hardship as though it's discipline. It's not saying that it is discipline, but it's almost saying, hey, if you can learn to endure hardship like it's discipline, you can you take things out of it, learn, grow, be better off on the other side, be, be more trained and, and more whole. I guess my question is, is simply as the church, whether little C or big C, If we're looking at this season as an opportunity for discipline, as an opportunity to train and grow and come out better on the other side, what are some of the things you're seeing as the church? What can we
2: learn? Yeah, well, I think we are learning some valuable things. And I think firstly, we're learning that we're not uh, immune. As the church, we are vulnerable. Um, We're human. We're Mm -hmm. susceptible to the impacts of... uh, A crisis like this, current pandemic, is anybody else in the world this? You can't, you know, you can't just plead the blood. You know what I mean? You you can't just speak to the virus and it goes away. And I and I think we're learning that in in a very real and very personal way. I I saw a news article the other day about a particular um, church leader who had got up and quite publicly said that he was not going to be closing any of his gatherings. in faith, you know, and he was going to trust God and they were going to continue to meet and he was going to take authority over the virus and he died of, of the virus. Um, so I think, in a very real way, we've been confronted with the reality you know, uh, faith in Jesus is not an inoculation against the realities of life, it's not a vaccination against adversity and difficulty and suffering. Um, faith in Jesus is trusting him and loving him very often in the face of those things. So I think. Um, it's it's kind of probably humbling for the church, but but a vital lesson for us to learn that we are human, and I think that enables us and positions us to then empathise with the people that we are living with and doing community with, um, because we share in their vulnerability. Um, this is a chance for us to weep with those who weep, and to mourn with those who mourn. So um, so we're learning that. I think we're we're also learning in a very kind of fresh and, and powerful way that. You know, as the church, the kind of small C church here, particularly in in our setting and context, you know, we're not a we're not a spiritual shopping center. We're we're not a distributor of spiritual goods and services that people can come and access once a week on a Sunday. We're a community. We're held together by relationship. Um, we're a people. Um, yeah, the building is a luxury, but it's not a necessity. We're grateful for the building and for the opportunity it affords us, but we can do without it if necessary because we aren't primarily dependent on it or dependent on the gathering. What we are dependent on is community, relationship, friendship, partnership, um, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, uh, none of which are in any way uh, undermined by the current reality. So I think we're learning to reconnect with who we fundamentally are as the church and what we are. Fundamentally, here to do, which is to love our
1: city in really practical and personal ways, in Jesus' name. I've I've often had a thought that um, you know how people have said society these days, the postmodern society is pretty anti-church, or or you would hear people on Facebook or whatever complain about a government um, initiative that is anti-church or maybe persecution light against the church um, charities paying taxes or not paying taxes or, or what have you, um, on the one part of me thinks bring it on because even if you do bring in something that's anti-church, we, we can still, we're still the church, you know, and it, in, in some ways is an opportunity for us to, um, to press into what, what we should be doing. Um, I suppose our core business of, it's a cold term, but core business of loving people and um, Bring bringing a message message of hope to people, which is something that um, buildings and tax breaks and um, lights and PAS and stuff like that is all they're all nice to have, but not essential to our core business. Exactly right,
2: and and I think we have um, an opportunity here, um, and I just I just kind of preface that by saying. We have an opportunity, but should not be opportunistic, right? And and so what I mean by that is, we have an opportunity to love our city, and to serve our city and our community. But I think we need to be sure and clear about the fact that the motivation, is genuinely, to love our city, and not advance our own cause, um, or present our, you know, selves in a way that is favourable in the eyes of the community or other churches. Um, I've always been really uncomfortable with the idea of you know advancing your your own reputation on the back of somebody else's trauma and and tragedy. And I just think we need to be really careful as the church that when we step up to um, seize this opportunity, that the motive is genuinely to love our city and love our community and not to present ourselves in a favorable light in the eyes of of the community or even in in the eyes of other faith communities with whom we are in some kind of weird competition. Um, it fundamentally comes down to motive, right? That's why Jesus said, you know, when you do your charitable deed, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The reason why I think he said that was was to address the issue of motive. Make sure that what you're doing is not just to be seen, um, to advance yourself or your reputation or your image um, in the eyes of others. Do it fundamentally out of love for God and love for others. So yeah, we have an opportunity to love our city, um, to serve our city in very practical and personal ways. I think we just got to be really sure about the fact that the motivation is genuinely that and not worry about who gets the credit, you know, to just love people and serve people and not worry about whether or not it advances our cause.
0: Mm, really good. I feel like that's a really encouraging conversation. I wondered if just to close out our time, Tim, you could um, just pray for us as uh, the big sea church and as little sea churches as we um, try and do a good job of all of this. Yeah, with
2: pleasure. Let's do that.
0: Father, we're so thankful today for the opportunity
2: to be a part of what you're doing in the world. And we recognize that if it were not for your grace uh, toward us, if it were not for the revelation that you have given us, if you had not opened our eyes and brought us into relationship with you, uh, we wouldn't be here. So we're so thankful for that. And we're thankful, God, that you are at work in um, so many people's lives in ways that we're not even aware of, in ways that we can't measure and manage. But we thank you that by your spirit, and by that same grace, you are transforming this world, and you're bringing people back into right relationship with you by bringing them to the understanding that your Son Jesus, the resurrected Lord, um, has been given all authority on in heaven and on earth, and uh, and has been appointed as the ruler of the cosmos. And I pray, God, that uh, as more and more people come to that realization. Um, that you would, by your spirit, unite us together in purpose and in heart, uh, that you would enable us to genuinely love and serve our city and the people of our cities um, with sincerity and with selflessness and in a way that would uh, honor you and and bless your heart. Um, I thank you so much, God, for the the many churches all across the city of Perth um, who right now are endeavoring to do that. I thank you for church leaders. And I thank you for um, pastors and ministers who are endeavoring to shepherd their people and guide their people toward being um, faithful, um, fruitful followers of Jesus, uh, who genuinely and sincerely live out this mandate to love people in Jesus name. And I pray that you give all of us, God, um, the courage and the strength to do that in the face of the current situation and whatever adversity and difficulty we're having to navigate as a result I thank you that there is strength and there's wisdom available um, from you for that. And I pray that you'll help us to draw on that and to be effective, God, in representing Jesus in this world, in this time. So thank you so much, God, for your grace on our lives, for what you're doing. Thank you, Jesus, for your commitment to build your church and to advance your kingdom here on earth. Thank you that we get to be a part of it, that we're caught up in it. And I pray that you'll continue to do that to the honor and glory of your name. So that all might know you are good and you are God and you are love. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: If you found any of our podcasts, including today's one, helpful, the best thing you can do to support us is to share them, send them on to a friend or someone you know. And if you could rate us and review, Give us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That would be great. We're on social media as well. Our handle is at Riverview Online. And we'd love you to join us for our weekly Sunday live stream, which is on Facebook and YouTube at 10 a.m. Australian Western Standard Time. And if you can't make it, then the stream will be available for 24 hours afterwards. Our original music today is by Andrew Warong. Until next time, keep having conversations.